uh, bringing us to church today. Thank you for uh, just getting time to fellowship, to worship, and really to center our lives on you, Lord. I just pray today you would open our eyes to what you want to share with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, today we're starting the Gospel of John. Uh, and four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're kind of doing an introduction, but there's also a sermon in all this, so I won't try to keep us too long. It's going to be really good. So, um, so there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, some people call John like the Holy of Holies of the Gospel because it's a really deep Gospel. Now, a quick quiz for you. The author, John, what does he call himself? Anyone know? The beloved disciple, or the, the, the disciple Jesus loves. Um, pretty cool, huh? To have an identity where like, man, who am I? Man, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. You know, like, could you picture like, what's your name? Man, I'm just the one Jesus loves. That's, that's, that's John. And I love that about him because he knows his identity, right? He knows who he is in Christ. He knows that, man, he is loved by God. In John 13, 23, it says, there was reclining on Jesus's bosom one of one of his disciples. Isn't that kind of a weird statement? This guy's like reclining on Jesus's bosom. Could you picture uh, you come over to my house and Michael's just like reclining on me? But no, this is how they were close, right? It says whom Jesus loved. That's what he was called. Man, this this author knew his identity. Now, the author of John clearly states what the purpose of the book of John is about. Uh, so there's no secret. You know, some books are like. What is, what is the theme? What is the main story? He tells us directly what this book is about. It's in John 20, 31. But it says, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there's two purposes here. First one, that you would believe Jesus is the Christ. But here's what's interesting about this. He gives a second one as well. And the second one is that you have life in his name. And I want to point this out to us really quick because there's a lot of skeptics out there. They're like, man, I don't want to believe in Jesus because he's going to be a killjoy, right? Like life is going to get super boring. But John says, no, the purpose of this book is that we not only would believe in Jesus's name, but that we would have life in his name. Uh, John 10, 10, I'm sure many of you know this verse by heart. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And John wants us to see this. Uh, There's seven miracles in John. Does anyone know the first one? Jesus turns water into wine. It's highly a theological book. Uh, We're not going to go through all those because we'll go through them all. But there's another big segue in the book of John. Jesus makes these statements. They're called the I am statements. Does anyone know where I am comes from? Old Testament, right? Exodus 3.14, remember the burning bush with Moses? Um, God's appearing to Moses in this burning bush, and God says, I am who I am. So when Jesus says, I am, he's not just like saying some nice little statement. He's claiming that he is God. And that's why many times when Jesus says, I am, people want to kill him. Because back then you did not claim to be God unless you really were God. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. So there's all these I am statements. All right. Today we're going to talk about Jesus being the greatest game changer. We're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18. And does anyone remember this song? This is going to date me. So uh, if you don't, it probably means you're younger than me. But it says, if God had a name, what would it be? And what would you call to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? And then there's a bunch of lyrics, but there was See a song, a secular song about what if God was one of us. And that's what we're going to see today 
in John chapter 1, that God actually became man. Okay, there's been some big game changers, and some of these might be totally crazy, so if they are, just tell me, but I was thinking of some. The chi. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? The chi? Wasn't that a game change? I mean, I don't know what it was like without the chi, but all I know is we have one chi in our house, and it is never in Heather's bathroom. It is always somewhere else because one of the girls has taken it, right? The chi was a game changer. Uh, air conditioning. I remember when I was in India, like in this remote village, and I was like, could you picture living your whole life never having air conditioning? And like Houston taught, so is India, right? So I thought AC might be a game changer. Um, the car. Now, could you picture going uh, with the buggy, like a little or a, a horse, a, a deal, or before the horse? I mean, a car was a big game changer. The last one I'll throw out there is um, weapons. Picture like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even back when the Indians were around, I man, what weapons were like. Now they actually have drones that don't even have to bring a human there that could blow stuff up. There's been a lot of game changers. But today, what I want to make the point of is that Jesus Christ is the greatest game changer ever to exist. Think of 2,000 years later, we're a small, brand new church trying to get our feet on the ground. There's churches all over Houston meeting because of Jesus Christ. And I love what one author says. He said, why don't the names of Buddha, Muhammad, or Confucius, Confucius offend people the way the name Jesus does? I think the reason is that these other religions didn't claim to be God. That is the big difference between Jesus and others. And when you even look at other religions, what's crazy is they all account for Jesus. Now, some of them might have a different view of Jesus, right? But Jesus is still a big deal today. So then what we're going to do is we're just going to look at four implications for this greatest game changer. So here's the first one. The first implication of the greatest game changer is this. We must make much of Jesus. And I want to ask you this before we dive into chapter 1, verse 1. What do you make much of right now? Are you making much of Jesus right now? Even though Jesus is so great, have you ever noticed how small we make him? Like, it's just like we kind of tack them on to prayers. And I started thinking about this. People, and, and I've done this before. I did this to a show called 24. I binge watched it. Heather was in the hospital. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie 24. It's, it's a great show. But, but I just think about how often people will binge watch Netflix or Hulu or whatever the subscriptions are. And I looked this up this week. And I looked up the three biggest shows on Netflix. I hadn't heard of two of them. The Sandman, um, Have Ever, Have I? And Stranger Things. I've heard of Stranger Things. But how many people will get home from work and, and put on a show like this and watch it for six to eight hours straight? And I was thinking about this. What if we binge watch Jesus like that? We're just like, man, I, I just can't get a, a, enough of him. And I think even though Jesus is this great game changer, we've made him way too small. So here's what you need to know about Jesus. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. How is this even possible? It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I want you to think about this just for a second. 
He has always been. Jesus has always been. In John 8, 58, it says this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So Abraham was here and basically saying, Jesus has always been around. Now, this is hard to wrap your mind around, right? But Jesus has always been. Have you ever had a kid ask you, like, when, did G- when was Jesus born? Jesus was born, but he's always been around. What else do we need to know about Jesus? He is divine. Did you know Jesus is part of the Trinity? Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is divine. A very deep subject, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A lot of times people struggle with Christianity because they're like, how is Jesus God? How is there a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So think about this. I think there's, there's illustrations we could give, but they all fall short. But I want to give them anyway. In a fa- or, um, an egg. What are the three parts of an egg? Yeah, they're all one. But they're three, right? So that's an illustration kind of of the trend that falls short. Then we got water. Water can become ice, water, and what else? Steam. But they're all divine. Now, one of the best ways I've heard this explained to me, and, and let me just be really careful on the divinity of Jesus and the Trinity. No one can explain this perfectly, right? But here's what's so awesome about it. Okay, if God was just one, if he wasn't Trinity, before time existed, he can't love anybody because you have to have more than one person to love anything, right? Like, I, if Heather wasn't married, I, well, I, I guess I could love her in some way, but you get married, you love a person because there's two people. You love your spouse, she loves you, right? Before God created anything, there was this Trinity of perfect love. The Father loved the Son perfectly. The Son loved the Holy Spirit perfectly. The Holy Spirit loved the Son perfectly. The Holy Spirit loved the Father. There was this perfect triangle of love. Now, here's what's really beautiful about that. When God created the world, He didn't create us because He needed us. He created us out of an overabundance of us. And what I want to see about this greatest game changer is He is divine. Jesus is God. Now, me and Blake were talking this week about um, he's a dentist. And when he went to dental school, he got put in a group with, with a bunch of Mormons. Now, I love Mormons, so this is not a knock on Mormons. But if you notice, a lot of cults will point to this passage and they'll say, and especially Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll say, Jesus isn't God. He's a God. Does that make sense? And they'll, they'll point to this passage. But what's crystal clear, if you really study this, Jesus isn't a God. Jesus is God. And we can unpack that a little bit later, but I want us to see that when Jesus came to earth, he was completely God and completely man. Again, wrap around this. I love what one man said. There is probably no adequate illustration of the Trinity in that world. And here's what's beautiful about God. If I could come up here and completely explain God to you, it probably wouldn't be very big. I mean, I barely passed school. No, I didn't barely pass it, but I was a good student. My point saying that is God is so much greater 
than we can explain. Okay, God is divine, but guess what else? What do we need to know about Jesus? He is creator. Have you guys ever thought about that before? Jesus is creator. Look at verse 3 here. It says this, All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. Jesus is creator. Have you guys thought about that before? And what I love about this first part of John is it's connected to what passage in the Bible? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what I want us to think about for a second. Me and Heather, when we worked with the call ministry, we used to go to Colorado every summer. And man, I loved walking up the mountains in Breckenridge and just, man, you'd look out there and you'd be like, man, God is amazing. I'm trying to bring Blake up in this talk too much, but he actually told me a story where when he was in South Korea, Japan, I thought Japan, when he was in Japan, he lived on a block with other fighter pilots. Like we're talking like the ones who fly the pilots like Top Gun. You, you know what I'm saying? Like get a picture. And he got to go up in the sky. And I saw your picture on Facebook the other day. And as I was getting ready for this, I was like, man, I can't imagine what your view was like in a fighter plane looking at creation from that angle, right? Was it amazing? I mean, best day ever, right? Except marrying his wife is what he told me. Um, but my point is, is, this was an amazing situation, Right experiencing and seeing creation like from a bird's eye view. Here's what I want us to see about Jesus. As amazing as God's creation is, Jesus becoming man is even that much greater. Think about that. In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1, 1, it says right here, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 3. All things were made through him. As great as God's creation was and Jesus created it, he is even greater. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In verse 4 and 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is where life is found. Jesus is the light of men. And if we're going to make much of Jesus, man, we got to realize how great he is, right? And here's the thing. I'm talking to a group who, you know, if I asked you, is Jesus great? You'd say yes. Even if you were in one of those days where you were like, I'm not that into, you know, it's not my best spiritual day. You'd still say, yes, Jesus is great. But guys, I think we need to be reminded. God wants us to make much of him. Basis. You know, there's so many things that buy for our time. And as we're pursuing careers man, do it for the glory of God, be successful at it. As we're raising our family, but as we're doing it, let's make much of Jesus. And I want to ask you right now, are you making much of Jesus? You know, one of the reasons I think we don't, one of the reasons I think we don't make much of Jesus, I don't think we wake up saying, I don't want to make much of Jesus. I think one of the reasons we don't make much of Jesus is because we don't make space for Jesus, right? Like you start getting jobs, your kids get busier, life gets busier. It's like, it's not that you don't want to make much of Jesus. There's just not a lot of space for Jesus. 
Okay, so the first implication is we got to make much of Jesus. The second implication of the greatest game changer is this. We must share him with others. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this was, this was John who? The Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was being a witness of Jesus. Did you know one of our callings as Christians is to be a witness of Jesus? Like if you've watched Law and Order, like a witness gets on the stands and they share about what they saw. Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. What this verse is saying is we will be witnesses in Pearland, in Houston, in Texas, to the end of the earth. God has called his people to be witnesses. And John was a forerunner of Jesus. And just remember this, in the, in the Old Testament, the book of John is super simple, but super deep in the same sense. In the Old Testament, as early as the third chapter of Genesis, we see the first picture of Jesus. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see pictures of Jesus is coming as the Messiah. Well, we also see that there was going to be a guy. We didn't know his name was going to be John, but there was going to be a guy who was the forerunner, who was going to talk about Jesus. That is John. So why do we need to tell others about Jesus? Well, this verse tells us why John did. He said he came as a witness, a witness about the light that all might believe through him. Why did he do this? So others would believe like John was being a witness because he wanted other people to believe about Jesus. Do you remember the first time you believed the gospel? Maybe it was a camp. Maybe it was at a place where you were super low in your life. Maybe it was later in life when you were pursuing things. And you realize, man, they're all empty without Christ. But do you remember the first time you believed the gospel? And what's crazy about this, it says John wanted all to believe through him. John wanted everybody to believe. John was a hedonist. He's like, I want everybody to believe. I want my whole street to believe. I want everyone at work to believe. Because, man, it is so great believing in Jesus. You know, one of the reasons we're doing all these events, making these simple events, trying to invite people into our community is because we want people to grow wherever we're. It's a a person who's been a disciple for a long time, whether it's a person who's never even heard of Christ, we want them to plug into our community so they'll believe and they'll take those next steps. I'm going to John 135 and 37. This is pretty cool. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and he looked at this as he walked and said, behold, the flame of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Notice, John was always pointing people to Jesus because he believed that not only should they believe in him, but that life was found in him. How to share with others? Here's the trick. We must be willing to decrease. John says this in John John 3.30. This is what it said about John the Baptist. He must increase but I must decrease. Man, isn't that a fun verse? God, make me less and make you more. We fight that, right? Like, I don't want to wake up and say, God, I want to be less. Than... No, I want to be more of me. You must increase. I must decrease. 
we had one of our fight nights summer, and um, it got down about 12 o'clock, and me and Michael were there, and Michael invited a friend, and man, we ended up staying up to what was it, 1 or one thirty, talking to your friend. It was late. But see, man, what was so beautiful about that moment was, man, Michael just was loving on this guy because he wanted to see him grow in Christ. And that was John's attitude. God, I'll decrease so you could increase. One of the things we like to talk about at renovation is, man, who are your top five? Who are five people far from God who you're praying for, you're trying to take steps, sharing with? Man, who are those five people? And as we're in this stage of really going from surviving to thriving, as we're bringing people on to our launch team, man, what's amazing is God wants to bring people onto this team. Some far from God, some close to God, but I think it could be we need to be very intentional with those five people. Are you praying for your five right now? Are you reaching out to your five? I mean, God wants us to share Christ with those around us. Okay, so we've seen two implications so far of the greatest game changer. We must make much of Jesus, and we must share Jesus. Here's the third one. The third implication is we must choose his side. Who likes making choices in here? Raise your hand if you like making choices. Raise your hand if you don't like making choices. Okay. Did you know each day the average person makes 35,000 choices per day? And there's some of us here who embrace the choice. There's probably others who put off choices. But this is the greatest choice you could ever make. I want to be really clear here. We'll talk about that here in a sec. So 1 through 18... If you broke down verses 1 through 18, they kind of mirror each other. Like 1 and 18 mirror each other. 2 and 17. This is the central part of 1 through 18, verse 12. And we're about to read it in a sec. But I want to look at two things. Why we must choose. And here's the first one. We all start on the wrong side. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. God was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And I love this part. Well, actually, I don't love it, but it's so true. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was Jewish. He came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. How did his people receive him? Not well. It says they rejected him. But guess what? The Bible doesn't just say Jewish people rejected Jesus when he came. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why do we need to choose Jesus? Because we all start on the wrong side. doesn't matter how good you are, how nice you are, if you got a good haircut, bad haircut. I mean, the Bible says we're all separated from God because of sin. Two points, I read this this week. Two points receive special emphasis. One is the fact that the Word of God, true God as He is, took upon human nature. And the other is even more astonishing fact, that when He did this, people would have nothing to do with them. Man, that's what the Bible teaches. The world's characteristic reaction to the Word is one of indifference. This is why when I go and talk to people, or when you go and talk to people and you say, man, Jesus, 
awesome. A lot of times you're like, get away from me. Right? Why must we choose? Because we start on the wrong side. But there's another reason we must choose. Because everything is on the line. Now, here is the central verse we need to see in the passage. This is a great verse to, to memorize. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wouldn't it be nice? It'd be nice to say, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you know, this is what some religions have done in the past. If you want to be a Christian, show up every Sunday. If you don't, if you miss, maybe you've got to pay some extra money in the tithe box. Uh, if you're mean to your kids, we're going to counsel you. No, that's not what this verse says. It says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I would love to add to the gospel and say, you have to do good works to get there. You have to dress sharper. You have to shop and help Justin more often. I mean, I'd love to add to the gospel, but this is what it says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does this mean? How do I know that you guys trust these chairs? You sat in them, right? That's a small example. But there was actually a real example by a famous guy named Charles Blondin. And what he would do is he would take a unicycle and there was a rope traversing the uh, Niagara Falls. There was a rope from this side to this side. And Charles Blondin, true story, you can look this up, would take his unicycle and he would ride his unicycle from here to there. And what do you think the people did? They're like, yes, this is awesome. You know, I, mean, I don't know if I had to pay tickets or what. And you know what Charles Bonham would do after that? He would say, who believes I could do it? And everyone would be like, I believe. And he would say this, who wants to get on my back and go from here to there? Now, I'm a bigger guy. I'm tall. I'd probably be lanky. So I, I for sure would not get on Charles' back, right? No one would get on his back except one person, his trainer. So his trainer gets on his back and they go from one end to the other. And I think that's what trusting in Christ looks like. It's saying, man, we're on the wrong side. We're going this way. And we turn to God and we receive his gift. But to all who received him, receiving his gift and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of of God. It's the good news of the gospel. I know most of you in here today, but we always got to ask this question because I never want to take this for granted. There's stories of people who've grown up in church their whole life who've never accepted the gift of God. Trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. All right, there's one last implication of the greatest game changer, and it's this. We must marvel at a of Jesus, we must marvel at amazing grace. Yesterday, I got to take Olivia, my daughter, to a birthday party. And I always love when it's just me and one of my kids, because I have so many kids, you know, there's just some unfiltered conversation going on. And she was asking me some hard questions. Uh, One of the questions she was asking me, Dad, I'm confused. Um, If somebody is gay, can they go to heaven because they've disobeyed God? And I go, Livy, is it right to disobey your parents? And she goes, no. I go, have you disobeyed me? She goes, yes. I go, can you go to heaven? 
Anyway, we're just having some fun with that. But uh, long story short, we're going to get some deep conversation in this car ride. And we got talking about grace. And I go, Libby, do you know what grace is? And she goes, yeah, I know grace. And she was trying to explain it to me. We started talking about what if someone punched you in the face at school? Well, I go, what would you do? And she was trying not to give a, like, she was trying to be, give the right answer. So she was like, yeah, I wouldn't really do much. I was like, would it be okay if you hit that person back? I asked her. I was like, I go, would that person deserve to be hit back? I go, yes. And she goes, so can I hit the person back? I was like, I'm not saying to hit back necessarily, but I'm saying you can protect yourself. But then I go, Livy, what if that person hits you and you turned around and you gave them $100? She goes, whoa. You know what I'm saying? She's just like caught off guard. I go, Livy, that's a picture of grace. She gets something she doesn't deserve. Why is grace so amazing? And I want to give us a couple of quick thoughts and we'll close up here. Jesus holds truth and grace together perfectly. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What's this verse saying? Jesus actually, the translation of this dwelt with us. The translation here says um, dwelt among us. It's like Jesus tabernacled among us. He lived among us. But notice it says from the father, full of grace and truth. God is 100% truth, right? Man, people who do not believe in Jesus, man, they will suffer. They will die in their sins. But he's also grace. And here's what's beautiful. Is the truth of God leads us to the grace of God. If you've ever looked at the Ten Commandments, no one can find The Ten Commandments lead us to the grace of God. Why is grace so amazing? Because Jesus holds Grace together perfectly. Now, real quick, before I jump into this next point, just think about this. I feel like everyone in here either leans more towards the true side or the grace side. Neither's neither's wrong. You know, Jesus is the only one who holds them perfectly. How many truth people in here? Like truth is the big deal. Okay. What about the grace side? Heather didn't raise her hand. Are you more truth? Okay. Opposites attract. Nice joke. The grace. Uh, why is grace so amazing? This was God's plan from all eternity. Look at verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, before he was before me, because he was before me. God's plan all along to pour grace down on his people. And this was God's plan from eternity. Verse 17. This is verse 16. Far fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Have you guys ever had this question? Hey, can God really forgive that? Like I remember uh, one time we watched a documentary on Ted Bundy. And supposedly he became a Christian before he died. I don't have to get into all these crazy theological subjects. Man, is God's grace great enough to forgive? Ted Bundy. Man, it's God's grace. It's God's grace upon grace. And here's what's amazing. This is for you and me, right? Like we need grace upon grace every single day. Like, man, I walk with God today. That doesn't mean I'm going to walk with him tomorrow. What do I need? It's grace. 
I need God's grace every single day. And as Christians, sometimes it's like, oh, man, I received God's grace back when I was in high school or college or as a young adult. Or... No, we don't just need God's grace back then. This says we have received all of God's grace. So what does this mean? We need to be asking God for his grace every single day. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made known to him. Guys, today was kind of an introduction to the book of John. Man, it's going to be a great time as we study through this. And I hope today we leave just with some excitement, maybe just a refreshment of being reminded how great God is. Because wouldn't it stink if this greatest game changer of all time if we lost sight of how great he is. We saw a lot of stuff about Jesus today. But I pray today that we'd walk away just refreshed and excited to dive deep into who he is. Lord, thank you so much that you were the greatest game changer of all time. You are greater than any invention we've made, any person that you've created is. And I pray that today, God, we would get a fresh taste of you and you would do great things in our lives. Amen.